Welcome to Doctors in the House. My name is Dr. Daryl Hill, and all, as always, it is a pleasure to be here with you today. Today is especially a great day because uh, I'm glad to see a good friend of mine in the house, Dr. Charles Wang. Dr. Charles Wang is going to go ahead and just introduce himself. Hi, my name is Dr. Charles Wang. Uh, I am an internal medicine physician for over 21 and a half years and uh, currently practicing in the Towson, Maryland area. Uh, in the last three to four years, I've grown a particular interest in cannabis medicine, and uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful last three, three to four years. Well, I gotta tell you, Dr. Wang, Charles, I'm really excited to have you here in the house today because we have an exciting topic. There's a lot going on in the state of Maryland and in the country when, we, when it comes to medical marijuana, cannabis, what do you think about what's going on right now with, with this topic? Well, I'm very, very excited. Uh, it is just a, a wonderful time, an exciting time in uh, Maryland and the country in general. Uh, what we've seen over the last several years is an evolution of not only patients, uh, but providers, physicians, therapists, psychologists, et cetera, embracing this uh, alternative treatment for not just medicinal treatments, but for overall wellness and, and health. So it's just a wonderful thing to see. Right, and, and let me remind the viewers, this is a call-in show, and the call-in number is 240-719-2560. So let's just get right into it, Dr. Wang. Let's go ahead and break it down. What exactly is medical marijuana? 
cannabis. Let's break it down, CBD, THC. Why don't you go ahead and just try to break it down a little bit? Sure, there are a lot of uh, confusing terms out there. Um, medical marijuana is, I think, a term that evolved uh, over the last 25 years or so, ever since the first dispensaries in Colorado and California came out. Uh, essentially, it's just uh, marijuana that is uh, bought from a dispensary that uh, the state has endorsed. Uh, it is typically um, a place where one can get uh, a variety of uh, marijuana in different forms, oils, tinctures, uh, topicals, salves, etc. And in order to dispense it from a dispensary, it comes from uh, a lab called a processing center where measurements are taken to determine the amount of THC or CBD or uh, terpenes and other uh, ingredients to make sure that it's safe from insecticides and mm -hmm. pesticides, etc. And uh, also where it's actually grown, uh, called a cultivator, they are also inspected by the state to make sure that uh, the crops are good and that it's safe to uh, move forward to the processing center, as I spoke about, and the uh, dispensaries for patients to purchase. Yeah, so we're definitely going to look at the big picture here because the past year especially, there's been so much excitement with the growth and the economics, and you and myself and many others are seeing the economic benefits along with the incredible clinical benefits too. So why don't we do this? Let's go ahead and um, get our video going. Uh, we'll take a quick look at this video and then get back into the program. Me personally, I'm using it a lot for pain and anxiety. What kind of indications and experiences are you having? So I would say that pain and anxiety, chronic pain in particular, are the uh, two most common conditions that uh, people come to my office for uh, seeking assistance and help. Interestingly enough, uh, out of the conditions that are listed uh, in our state as to what's uh, appropriate for medical marijuana usage. Uh, anxiety is not there. Um, I think that will change soon. Um, but uh, as you talked about, there are many, many different forms of uh, chronic pain for different reasons, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic back pain, uh, different forms of inflammatory conditions, neuropathic pain, et cetera. And uh, what I found in the last three and a half years or so was that uh, the cannabinoids, cannabinoids in general, CBD and THC, uh, CBD being the non-psychoactive form, the most, uh, uh, the second most of, um, common cannabinoid in the plant, uh, has been very, very helpful and effective in reducing inflammation, pain, and anxiety. And uh, it's also been very, very effective in allowing patients to decrease or even come off of many of their pain medications, including opioids mm -hmm. and anti-inflammatory medications. So it's been particularly helpful uh, for me to continue treating patients in a more effective way, uh, particularly seniors, in fact. I'm seeing a lot of uh, seniors uh, come in because of their chronic conditions, because of insomnia, anxiety, depression, chronic pain, as we spoke about. And it's uh, really, really challenging simply to use uh, typical medications uh, for these patients because of side effects, uh, because of uh, issues that they have being on many, many other medications for other medical mm -hmm. conditions. So it really helps us, uh, helps me I should say, to uh, treat patients um, in a more customized way using uh, CBD and THC and various preparations to bring about uh, a much, much better quality of life. Patients are sleeping better, patients are less anxious, having less panic attacks, uh, they're able to move and be more active and interact with their family members and friends again, uh, getting off of many of the opioids as I talked about, and just in general feeling a lot better. 
Exactly. You know, the funny thing is I can sit here and, and really listen to you talk and, and us talk on this specific point probably for another hour or so because um, I think you're right. When we look at the quality of life patients are getting back, especially in the setting of the opioid issue where a lot of those opioids were taken away from people and how much suffering they really had. And I don't know what your experience has been. What, what has that conversation been like when you had to talk to that 80-year-old about marijuana? What was that like? Because I know what it was like for me, and it wasn't always easy. So interestingly, uh, I'm getting many, many um, referrals from other primary care physicians, from uh, GI physicians, oncology uh, colleagues, cardio cardiologists even, mm -hmm. um, some neurologists, uh, because uh, this very issue. And so a lot of the patients, a lot of the senior patients are actually coming from other physicians, uh, for example, rheumatologists. And so they have, they're actually more receptive than we think. Mm -hmm. uh, that is to say the seniors are more receptive than we think to uh, this plant-based medicine. They uh, have been through many, many other uh, conditions, medications, side effects. Of course, they're the most vulnerable to the side effects. You give them a medication and they, they have an upper GI bleed or you give them a, a muscle relaxant and they get up in the middle of the night and they fall and they hurt themselves. Break a hip. Uh, break a hip. They've had uh, surgeries and they don't recover as well. Their immune system is compromised so they're often uh, more susceptible to post-operative infections and blood clots. So these patients are very, very interested in being able to uh, find an alternative approach and treatment to their very, very difficult to treat conditions. And so for me, I've seen a lot of, uh, I would say that Dr. Hill, about 50, 45 to 50% of my patients, especially my new patients, are over the age of 55. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny too, one story always comes to mind when we talk about that older patient. It was kind of early in that time period when medical, medical marijuana was available. And I brought up the topic of medical marijuana to an 80-year-old. And she looked at me like I had three heads. Sure. And um, we pretty much tabled the discussion. However, about eight months later, she came back knocking on the door looking for it only because she had spoken to a friend who was using it and who was happy and doing well. And now she felt more comfortable. I don't know about you, but I find out there are two things you got to mention to people. You gotta tell them you're not gonna have to smoke it, and you gotta tell them you're not gonna walk around high as well. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely right. I think that uh, as physicians, as providers, it behooves us to learn as much as we can about this uh, evolving uh, field uh, so that we are able to help our patients learn how to administer their medications, the different ways to take the medication, how to take it, when to take it, um, how it interferes or interacts with the other medications. So a lot of times the patients are looking for us to guide them. And I think that is important because if you think about the alternative, sometimes uh, when you send a patient to a dispensary, uh, you just don't know who they're going to encounter, uh, what that young person, or not necessarily a young person, but the other person's experiences are. Mm -hmm. And remember that they are simply perhaps uh, adept at the different strains that they're offering at that dispensary, but not necessarily uh, how to treat an elderly patient with a particular problem. So for the physicians to learn and acquire the knowledge uh, to help their patients, particularly our seniors, I think it's really important. And absolutely, uh, and that to that end, there are many, many different ways to administer the cannabis, whether it's in a, a tea form or a tincture, a salve, or a topical lotion, um, a capsule, a gummy, a, pe a, a pill. Um, there are many different ways to, to take it, and uh, it can be taken in ways where there's no intoxicating effects, uh, or at least uh, minimal. And uh, once we're able to uh, have the patient feel confident about doing that, and doing it slowly in a way that there's little to no harm, uh, then the patient seems very, very receptive. And of course, 
when they have a friend or a neighbor who they can relate to, whether it's via age or condition, and they've tried it, that's going to uh, encourage that patient to come forward and give it a shot. So let, let's be clear, um, medical marijuana has over 100 particles in it, and the two most active particles will be the CBD and the THC. Do you want to maybe just mention what we normally get from those two particles? Sure. So uh, the THC or uh, Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol um, is about 55% um, of the uh, percentage of compounds of cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. Uh, CBD, which stands for cannabidiol, is the second most abundant. The primary difference is that the THC is psychoactive and the CBD is not. Uh, the similarities are that uh, they're very uh, similar in their molecular structure. Uh, they, uh, however, work in uh, different areas in the body. THC works on different receptors that you find in your central nervous system, your peripheral nervous system, mm -hmm. uh, your immune system, and some other organs. The CBD uh, is found uh, in other areas uh, that uh, not specifically uh, bind to receptors in the brain or central nervous system. Because you don't have that specific binding in the brain, you do not have the psychoactive effects. This allows uh, this compound, a product, to be used in a very practical way, meaning that uh, for patients uh, who have to drive, go to work, take care of children, etc., we can use CBD for conditions like inflammation and pain and anxiety. I have a lot of patients, for example, who uh, the first time they get up in the morning, they're very anxious. Uh, that's uh, uh, they, they may have nausea, they may have to go to the bathroom several times before they even get out of the house. With just a few drops of uh, CBD oil under the tongue or in their tea or coffee, uh, that can help them relax without uh, sedating them or impairing them, and they're able to drive and, and, and work and function well. Um, so I think that uh, CBD uh, has a, 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 a additive and synergistic effect with the THC. Uh, THC therefore can be used in addition um, but at lower doses because to, once again they work in a synergistic way. Um, and at the same time CBD can diminish the high effect from THC. So what I find myself doing uh, for a lot of the patients is trying to help them come up with this uh, uh, a regimen where they actually can take very very small doses of the THC uh, along with CBD. And this form of treatment is what we call microdosing. And when we do it this way, we find that we get similar uh, efficacy in terms of pain management, uh, insomnia, treating insomnia and anxiety without the side effects uh, that you might get from high doses of the THC. Which patient might that be? First of all, I think that uh, in general, all patients, um, uh, you see, what we don't have are actual dosing charts or regimens. We don't have large, large studies to say, what's the dosage of CBD or THC for insomnia? What's the dosage of CBD or THC for migraine headaches or for back pain, mm -hmm. et cetera? I think what we'll find as these studies uh, um, ensue, large, large studies that is, that uh, it's gonna vary a lot. Um, and probably the safest uh, and effective way to find out what a patient's uh, specific a range is, is to start low and gradually, gradually increment, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps by about two to three milligrams of THC at a time, uh, while keeping some CBD available on, on board. So whether it's a young child who's suffering from seizures, or autism, or it's a 78 or 88-year-old uh, patient suffering from PTSD, or rheumatoid arthritis, the idea always is to go slow and to gradually work your way up until you find a perfect balance between a therapeutic benefit mm -hmm. and side effects. And this is one of the reasons why I believe that uh, using this kind of uh, approach, using cannabis that is, and, and, and CBD is uh, very effective is because it allows the patient to customize their regimen 
in a given day, not just in a three-month span or, or, or one-week span. You know, some days we wake up and we feel more down mm -hmm. or we feel more energetic or we have a little bit more aches and pains, right? Monday so versus Friday for me. <laughs> Mondays I'm down, Fridays I'm up. And mine starts Sunday. <laughs> mine starts Sunday evening. So, but I know exactly what you mean. And so, imagine suffering from a condition like anxiety or depression, and how you have even more degrees, more varying degrees of, of symptoms. Well, a patient, uh, perhaps on a day where it's uh, rainy and damp and cold, may require five drops of a particular ratio of CB to THC, and on a day where it's dry and and uh, uh, sunny without a, a front coming in, they may only require two or three drops. So uh, this allows the patient to be able to microdose based on their own symptoms uh, throughout the day and uh, have a lot more control of their own care. And when you do that, you uh, allow the patient to be a lot more um, hopeful and uh, in control of, of their own um, health. And, and patients absolutely love that. Is that a call for us? All right, I think we do have a call, so we'll go ahead and take the call. Caller, do you have a question, caller? Are you still there? Call. Hello. Hello, how are you? Hi, do you have a question? Thanks for calling. Is somebody there? Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? How are you? Not bad. Is there a question? No, I can't get online. Oh, okay. So we'll go ahead and take the next call. I don't know if we can give um, assistance getting online at this point. So let's go on. Uh, Dr. Wang, why don't you go ahead and comment on um, what's the usual process for a, um, for a patient who wants to get on, um, on um, medical marijuana or cannabis? What, what is that process? It's a fairly straightforward process. Uh, the first step is to log on to the MMCC uh, website. I believe that site is mmcc.maryland.gov and uh, register to get an ID number. That can be about a four to six week process and they are simply just validating uh, that you're a resident of the state and one or two other things. Mm -hmm. uh, after or during that process, you can uh, call a participating provider, physician, who is participating in your area uh, to go in for an evaluation for medical uh, marijuana. During that evaluation, uh, oftentimes a patient will have medical records documenting or corroborating some of their conditions, whether it's chronic pain or uh, another condition. Um, after they see the patient, uh, the doctor will typically provide them uh, a certification document and uh, once they receive that, the patient is able to go into uh, the dispensary of their choosing. Okay. Now, I know there's a price for that. You want to give a range of what that price might normally be that you're hearing about? Well, um, there's a, uh, the recently the state is asking for all patients to purchase a medical marijuana card, and that's $50. Uh, that's going to be required by April 1st. Um, but prior to receiving that card, you have to once again go through that process of registering and then getting certified by a physician. That price can vary, uh, and I've seen it as uh, high as $250 and as low as $125 and maybe even lower in some other areas. So uh, depending on what the patient is looking for, if they're looking simply for just a certification, uh, you may be able to find that at lower rates. If the patient is looking for a little bit more um, consultation uh, regarding what their health issues are and their medications, uh, then the cost may be uh, a little bit closer to the $200 mark. Okay, okay. And is there anything unique about the evaluation that doctor is doing? Can it be any doctor doing this? Can it be done online or is it more of a face-to-face -face evaluation, would you say? Well, Maryland uh, requires physicians to see the patient face-to-face uh, -face and uh, to also maintain uh, a chart on the patient 
and have a bona fide relationship with that patient, essentially meaning that they keep a chart on the patient, that they're following the patient, and doing all the things that they would do if they were seeing that patient for any other medical condition. Okay. Do you want to share anything about a good outcome you had as far as a patient goes? Well, <laughs> I'm sure you have so many good outcomes to share, right? It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, where would I start? So my first patient was a 17-year-old young man who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 10th grade. Wow. And uh, Crohn's, disease, Crohn's disease is an inflammatory bowel condition and uh, symptoms can be severe uh, diarrhea, cramping, uh, abdominal cramps, uh, bloating distension, yeah. nausea, vomiting, etc. And this young man uh, developed this condition at 10th grade, um, was having uh, over 13 bowel movements a day, uh, was um, not able to participate in sports and other activities in school, uh, ended up breaking up with his girlfriend because of he was embarrassed. Um, he did not go to his prom. He had been on multiple medications uh, for his Crohn's disease. We started him on a regimen of uh, CBD and THC. Uh, it was a one-to-one -one regimen. Mm. And uh, the young man came back with his two parents. Uh, wow. He went from 13 bowel movements a day to two bowel movements a day. Uh, that was actually my wow. first uh, Crohn's patient, my first patient. Uh, we've, I used to do, uh, I don't want to call them studies, but I'd have patients come in on Fridays with my office from 2 to 4 with, uh, with pain, any kind of pain. I'd have them rate their pain from a 0 to 10. And I'd have them rate their anxiety from a 0 to 10. And uh, uh, we would uh, give them uh, CBD capsules. And in 30 minutes, 60 minutes, and 90 minutes, we'd ask them what their pain levels was. During that time, uh, we saw some amazing, amazing things right before mm -hmm. our eyes. Wow. We saw patients with 8 out of 10 sciatica, uh, pain dropped down to 2. We saw patients with all kinds of back pain and uh, osteoarthritis. Um, we saw a Parkinson patient with a severe tremor, uh, all these conditions, and right before our eyes, we saw just uh, an amazing change. And what was particularly pronounced uh, about these uh, stories was that I would say that all the patients not only developed less, less, less pain and less anxiety, but they also uh, felt an amazing wow feeling. Mm -hmm. like. They, they, would, they could not believe how, after years of having so much pain, that it simply just lifted, out, lifted away from their bodies without any side effects, such as nausea or fatigue or vomiting or abdominal pains. And uh, they uh, was just uh, the first batch of patients that I started seeing, and that from that experience, I knew that uh, this was something that I need to learn more about. Um, so I've seen patients with uh, severe migraines, uh, cervical stenosis, uh, 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 spinal stenosis, all kinds of uh, diabetic neuropathies, and, and these patients have just really, really uh, done well. I don't want to uh, make it seem like it cures everything, um, because it doesn't, mm -hmm. um, but um, it certainly can uh, make a huge difference in, in patients' lives. And I agree, I'll tell you, um, with the amount of patients we've seen, mainly for chronic back pain, spinal stenosis, like you're saying, where nothing else was helping or they were required to take high amounts of morphine and Percocets, this has really gotten them back to a real quality of life. Um, it's been very impressive, especially when you talk to that person who's used to having an 8 to level 10 type of pain and they truly walk in after being on this and saying it's down to a zero and you just look at them like wow and it's not just for a day or a week we're talking months um, so, so tell me what, do you, what are you finding do they need to take it multiple times a day or, or once a day in, in many cases or every week or so what are you saying with this in general sure well certainly um, uh, it depends on the 
patient, uh, their physiology, their condition, um, and uh, there's a lot of variability uh, in terms of how patients respond even to given doses of uh, the same, would seemingly be the, uh, the same medication or the same treatment. Mm -hmm. If you take uh, medicine or cannabis orally, you will have a longer acting effect uh, between six to eight hours. If you take it sublingually, uh, it may only last uh, four to six hours. If you inhale it, uh, it may last two to three hours. Okay. So uh, if you're talking about, for example, a migraine, um, you want to treat that initially uh, at the onset of the headache, and certainly uh, one option would be to vape because you're going to have a very rapid onset uh, uh, in terms of the effects of the medication. However, in addition to that, you're going to want to take something that's going to allow it to continue to be in your system, uh, perhaps for the next day or two. So you would probably take a long-acting, that is an oral, maybe it's a pill or capsule, an edible, uh, that uh, will continue to last uh, more than two to three hours and uh, by dosing it in a way that takes into account how long that condition would normally last. Is it intermittent? Is it continuous? Does it just come at night? For example, you have patients who have nocturnal seizures primarily. In that instance, you don't really have to bombard uh, the system uh, with uh, these cannabinoids during the day, but you can begin them toward the evening and allow it to get in their system and, and treat it with a long-acting um, product uh, throughout the night. So you, just like in regular medicine, you, you tailor it to the condition and to the patient's symptom. Now here at Doctors in the House, we pride ourselves on being um, an educational service and, 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 and um, program. So I guess we do have to let people know insurances aren't covering this, right? No, absolutely. Insurance uh, does not cover this, unfortunately. Um, there is uh, a recent um, medication, Epidiolex, that uh, was FDA approved for a very narrow um, condition uh, for seizures, um, and that medication is, uh, is approved, but not for just generalized epilepsy, but for particular uh, types of seizures. Um, and until uh, we see more insurance companies um, uh, getting in, patients will continue to have to pay for these uh, medications. Um, uh, at the same time, I, I am happy to see that dispensaries are lowering their prices. Uh, the longer uh, this has been out, we're seeing a decrease in prices uh, for patients going in to buy their, uh, their medicine. Very good. So, you know, that might be a good time for us to go to break. And as we go to break, let me just say, um, as we get to the other side, we'll talk maybe a little bit more about the cost and some of the economics of what is turning out to be an incredible finding here in Maryland. You are listening to Doctors in the House, and we will see you in one second.
right, welcome back. My name is Dr. Daryl Hill with Doctors in the House. I'm a part of Laurel Medical Associates, my office number 301-497-0401. Also on the web, www.laurelmedicine.com. We are in the house with Dr. Wang talking all things medical marijuana. And we do have a video we're gonna get into right now and, and then we will get back into the show. Today is not video day. No videos today. <laughs> yeah, we don't need a video. No video. So we are back in the house, and we were talking about some of the economics associated with um, medical marijuana, some of the costs. And I guess I can go ahead and just say the state of Maryland um, took in about $96 million in 2018 and are projecting as much as $500 million as we get into the year 2025. What do you think about that? <laughs> Amazing. They seem to be doing better than the uh, dispensaries and the growers. Uh, I, uh, I, I think uh, that's a, a very large number. Yeah, and it's funny because I think um, the rest of the country is, is seeing similar trends, and I guess this is what we expected, but didn't quite expect it to be this good. And hopefully that's going to translate into um, improvement clinically for patients as well. Well, I that would be nice if maybe they could uh, reallocate uh, 15 to 20 percent of those millions uh, to a subsidy program for patients, perhaps who are seniors who are disability and fixed incomes, to be able to go into the dispensary and uh, be able to get their medication because that is a concern. I agree, and uh, and I guess since we're talking about it. You know, the question is, where are we going to be in five years and ten years with this compared to now? I'm sure the state was just trying to get things started, and as we get more established, we're going to see a lot of changes taking place. But where do you see this industry in, in five and then ten years from now? Well, I, I think there are about 29 states that are currently uh, have medical marijuana, and uh, there are a few that are supposed to legalize it uh, in the next uh, six to 12 months. Um, and it looks like uh, every, every six months or so, there are two or three more states that uh, are passing legislation. So it uh, appears to be, by all account, accounts, a, uh, a growing um, business, a growing opportunity, a growing way of treating healthcare issues um, and a growing way of life. So it appears that uh, this is uh, just in its early stages now that uh, more than half the country um, are participating. Yeah, especially when we look into um, the issue of recreational. And we're not talking about recreational, but even states are moving forward with that as well. And um, maybe you too, what I know for me, a lot of my patients were already self-medicating with marijuana, and we're not here to advocate any illegal activity, um, but many people already knew about some of these benefits. I think that's right, and I, and I think that, um, you know, once again, my take on that is whenever we, as doctors, talk about patients um, uh, self-medicating, um, we often use it in a, a fashion that has a negative connotation, and that's because uh, it, it, it can have adverse effects, whether you're self-medicating with alcohol and, and, in fact, you have bipolar disorder or you have depression or you self-medicate with another substance. Uh, it's an attempt to uh, deal with your conditions and, and to get better. And so uh, to that end, um, I think that physicians uh, must uh, learn more about uh, this plant and how it works in the human body and uh, we need to listen to our patients and, and when they ask us about taking medical marijuana not to be so quickly to, quick to judge. Um, 
particularly because these are the patients who are on the sidelines and who are actually suffering and uh, not being able to participate in work and family and all the social activities that bring us joy. Um, so I uh, believe that uh, this is um, something that is here to stay and um, uh, because patients are going to self-medicate, uh, we really need to know how to help them do that. Uh, we've, uh, humans have been self-medicating uh, since the beginning of time, and it simply just uh, means that they've gone to alternative ways to find uh, things that will help them uh, get through a backache, get through stomach pain, get through preterm uh, pre labor, get through a horrible migraine, get through a digestive uh, illness condition. And once again, this is uh, something that we've always had to do as, as, as people. Um, and so for physicians, uh, it's really, really a great idea to be able to uh, help support your patients uh, through this, uh, this experience. Yeah, I, I gotta agree with you, Dr. Wang. And I don't know if you noticed it, but us as internists too, we see the full gamut of patients. Yep. And I don't know if you're feeling the, um, the natural movement taking place oh, in yes. society too. Everybody, nobody wants medicines anymore, and we typically are gonna recommend them when they're appropriate, but it is good to have something a little more natural. Well, if you think about it, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, well, let me ask you, you've, you've been in practice. Uh, 30, I wanna say 30, but uh, 20. 20 years, 20. yeah, I know, yeah. We were in residency together, yeah. by the way. Yeah, it was a year ahead of me. 20 years, right? <laughs> What's the difference in your recommendation, if any, if a patient calls you and says, I have a, I have a cold, what should I do? Uh, I, I could tell you for me, there probably isn't much of a difference uh, in, in two decades uh, as, oh, okay. as a practicing internist. Yeah. It's essentially, you know, what we've always said, you know, two aspirin and call me in the morning, or whether it's two Tylenol, or, or take a Robitussin, or take some rest, or nothing to add. Right. You know, our, our, our tools are extremely limited. Mm -hmm. uh, I was taking care of a patient who is uh, 81 years old, and he has a healthy mind, he's on blood pressure medications, his kidneys are a little shaky, and I, I really couldn't figure out what to give uh, my patient for, for, for pain, uh, other than, you know, some roll-ons and some Tylenol, but anything else, uh, an opioid, a muscle relaxant, uh, anti-inflammatory medication, they all would be, you know, detrimental to the patient. So I, I think that this is a very, very good thing because it just allowed us to expand our, uh, our medical bag, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, the tools in our medical bag, and to be able to uh, have uh, greater uh, options for, for patients. But, you know, one of the frustrating things as, a, as an internist is, um, you know, we, we have patients with complicated conditions and so many different medications and multiple doctors involved and one's care, and then we're, we're the ones who need to try and manage this whole thing and make sure all the medications are lined up and not interacting, and oftentimes it can be a very, very daunting experience. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. I yeah, think I, I agree with you, and um, I agree with you too that we are best positioned to be dispensing this because we, can, we know the whole patient too. Absolutely. But tell me, what kind of worries, for that patient out there who's thinking about this, what kind of worries are you hearing from your patients that might be able to educate others about medical marijuana? What are you hearing from your patient? What worries them that you have to you know, help them get comfortable with? Um, I think uh, many of the stereotypes are, are still, still there. Um, I think for new patients, uh, it's important to know that we're not talking about smoking. Um, we're talking about things that you can put in your tea or your yogurt, um, taking a couple of drops with some chamomile tea at bedtime for a very, very good night's sleep. We're talking about ointments that you can put on your knee or your, your hands or your wrist for rheumatoid arthritis uh, or a salve for your low back pain. 
Um, we're talking about uh, a pill that you can take uh, that will last six hours and you can take it um, in a way that's not going to cause you to have any constipation or diarrhea or nausea or anything like that. And uh, if done carefully uh, and slowly, uh, the patient, um, once again, uh, doesn't have to have any side effects and uh, oftentimes do not uh, and can reap a lot of the benefits. Some of the worries is exactly that. Uh, will I lose, will I be able to walk? Will I be able, will I, will I you know, uh, what's going to happen if I'm high? Um, and I remind them, I, I say, uh, you've taken many medications uh, with even more pugnant side effects. Uh, we've given, I've given them to you. Um, I've given you Trazodone, I've given you Percocet, I've given you Lyrica, I've given you Motrin, I've given you Benadryl. So it's your fault. No, it is my fault. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when you look at our, our uh, prescription writing for opioids, I think in 2017 it was uh, over 900,000 prescriptions, almost a million prescriptions were written by uh, physicians of, for opioids. And it's interesting how we talk about there may not be any great long-term studies uh, for uh, medical marijuana for chronic pain, but when you look at the studies for opioids uh, for chronic pain, it's, it's a very, very low uh, effect, effective rate. Uh, only a small slice of the patients uh, do okay, but most of the patients do not do well with chronic long-term opioids. So uh, I think that uh, this is... Um, a conversation we must continue to have with our patients, continue to encourage them, to continue to show them that it's safe, uh, it can be safe, and like anything, if done uh, in moderation and done with uh, the idea that if you uh, overconsume, that just like any other substance, it can uh, have some detrimental effects. I think of the high Dr. Hill as a side effect. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I give you Benadryl for a rash and you also get sleepy, uh, that was a side effect, mm -hmm. okay? And so uh, what do I do? I will try and dose you at the lowest rate that's gonna take care of the rash without you having the side effect. And so that's the same idea. So uh, many times, and, and studies have shown this, that patients who can take a therapeutic dose of THC and that's lower than the dose required for the side effect. So that's lower than the, uh, the dose required when they get high. And so this uh, concept of, or, or, or approach of microdosing, taking low, low doses of THC is a very effective way uh, to treat your patients because you can oftentimes get to the therapeutic benefit, whether it's insomnia or anxiety or chronic pain, without having the side effects of uh, feeling high. So I would say that the biggest concern is that patients do not want to be high, and that's a very good thing. And, uh, and, and so um, with uh, going slowly and adding CBD to uh, the cocktail, it can often be obtained. Very good. If anyone wants to call in, the call-in number, 240-719-2560. So I think you're exactly right, Dr. Wang, and um, I cannot overstate just how much improvement and benefits I've seen so it's important for patients to know about that because this is really helping them get their, their quality of life back I do want to add and you can comment on this um, well I have recently heard just to be transparent there have been an increased number of traffic accidents that we're starting to see that are being linked to this have you heard anything about that I have not heard that um and I think that's uh, certainly uh, one thing uh, where doctors need to continue to uh, encourage patients not to use uh, substances that's going to affect uh, their ability to drive. That includes THC, alcohol, uh, some pain medications, et cetera, even Benadryl. And um, yeah. what uh, what we have seen and what we do know is the decrease in um, deaths and traffic accidents related to alcohol uh, in states where medical marijuana is legal. And, uh, and at the same time acknowledging the limitations of all of these substances, including uh, the limitations of THC. 
and THC certainly can affect uh, coordination and uh, hand-eye uh, reflexes and the ability to respond uh, quickly um, when an urgent matter occurs. Uh, these areas in the brain that are responsible for that are affected by THC. And so there has to be um, education, ongoing education to patients. So uh, this is something uh, that needs to be uh, looked at and paid attention to and uh, patients uh, and physicians need to be educated on this. That, that marijuana, uh, THC, or is not a completely benign substance uh, that you can uh, have side effects, that you can have complications, that you actually can have some addiction to it, and uh, that everything needs to be taken in moderation and you need to use it smartly and wisely. And that means to you don't want to get behind the wheel, you don't want to uh, operate heavy machinery if uh, you're impaired or intoxicated, and uh, you once again want to res respect uh, the side effect or uh, the possibility of the side effect of, of causing uh, cognitive impairment. And that's important, but if you're dealing with a product that only has the CBD in it, there that's shouldn't exactly. be as much a concern, I'm sure, right? Actually, I, I, there, there really isn't a concern, um, once again, that the THC is uh, at a very yeah. uh, minimum. Um, mm -hmm. and, and my motto has always been CBD during the day and CBD slash THC in the evening uh, for patients who have to be on the road or have to work. And uh, that usually is a very, very nice combination because even if the CBD doesn't take away all their pain, uh, it definitely takes the edge off and it definitely helps with uh, muscle tightness and tension and anxiety. Uh, anxiety makes everything worse, including pain, including spasms. And, uh, and so often uh, the patient has a much, much better day with just simply CBD alone. And then when they're in the confines of their own home, they can take a combination of CBD and THC or simply just THC, depending on what the situation is. Very nice. So again, if you want to call in 240-719-2560, we are getting towards the end of the show. And I do want to make it clear, we are seeing very high-functioning people coming into the office. You know, what comes to mind for me is the nurse, the doctor, and, and even the college professor who's able to now use these substances and really be able to maintain their professional lives and um, be productive and have their quality of life. So that's important. I think that's a very good point. Uh, um, I would say that um, the majority, if not at least 90%, I would say, of my patients uh, who I've seen um, are all working uh, folks. Many of them um, have fields in teaching and nursing and law and accounting. And uh, everyone, no one's immune from uh, chronic pain, from depression, from PTSD, from insomnia. And so uh, to be able to legally purchase this to be able to go into a dispensary, to look and learn, and look at all the different options, and to uh, not have to take something uh, where you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know what it's laced with, uh, and uh, it's legal, and you have a uh, family, uh, you have a degree, you have a profession, you have a job, and you don't want to lose that, and it's important but you should be still be able to uh, get the treatment that you need. And so this is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity, uh, and we see this all the time. More and more patients are coming in from various segments of society and various socioeconomic classes, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we see uh, just how uniformly uh, this is. Now I do want to talk about two rather controversial points of this topic uh, that maybe you can help shed some light on. The first one is the federal government's approach. And I know we don't want to get too much into politics, so mm -hmm. we'll see if we can navigate this without getting into trouble. Sure. Let's try <laughs> it. <laughs> so well, what's your thought on that? Because um, I know the states are making it legal. The federal government really hasn't changed their position to a degree. Yeah. Um, 
Well, one good thing is the uh, Farm Bill was passed uh, this past December, uh, which allowed um, folks inside the United States to grow hemp and uh, sell hemp products, uh, specifically CBD. Uh, prior to that, um, all cannabis products, including uh, anything from hemp, uh, was considered Schedule One. Well, Schedule One means that uh, there is no uh, medical benefit uh, and can only be harmful. So, substances such as LSD and heroin uh, is uh, the <laughs> Scheduled One. Well, uh, those of us who know a little bit about this realize that uh, that. Uh, simply made no sense, uh, and uh, there are other reasons that probably have little to do with health or medicine as to why uh, cannabis is uh, considered a Schedule One drug. You know, the uh, if you if you look at the history of cannabis, um, you, you see that uh, it's been around in the world for thousands and thousands of years, starting in ancient China. In India, we see uh, treatment for uh, all kinds of conditions in, in Greece and Egypt. And it first came to Europe in the early 1800s. And uh, when it got to Europe, uh, it was um, uh, brought in by a, an amazing uh, scientist and physician uh, Dr. Uh, William O'Shea, who uh, Shaughnessy rather, who um, was the first to show us how uh, this can be taken as a tea form and how it can be taken for uh, all kinds of conditions—the same conditions we see here today, uh, such as spasms and chronic pain and seizures, etc. And so, uh, th the marijuana has had fallen out of favor uh, as uh, pharmaceuticals uh, such as uh, Bayer uh, in the 1890s had uh, wanted to replace it with aspirin, uh, and um, and since then uh, it's really just uh, gotten more and more out of favor. Uh, but prior to the 1930s, physicians here in this country uh, was using cannabis uh, to help with uh, depression and anxiety headaches and pain and insomnia. And so we use this and when cannabis was taken away, if you will, or made illegal in the 30s, uh, doctors uh, and the AMA had uh, no, no voice in that decision. Uh, we see sort of the thing, same things happening in our uh, uh, mm. Congress today as it relates to uh, health care, that uh, we have no a voice or input. So I think that's a mistake and I think it was always a mistake to remove it and it had nothing to do with uh, the detriments or any concerns about uh, medical, about cannabis or marijuana, but simply about uh, other things. Wow. So now we're wrapping up. Anything else you want to add that maybe we didn't touch on? Well, uh, if uh, those of you who are listening and would like to know more, my name is uh, Dr. Charles Wayne W. E. N. G. Um, my number uh, in Towson is 410-339-3850, 410-339-3850. And you can also find me on uh, at my website at drwengdrweng.com. Um, I am an internist. I treat all sorts of conditions, and uh, my attempt is to try and uh, use a comprehensive approach uh, using both Eastern and Western um, medicine to bring about uh, the best quality of life for my patients. Very nice. And I know on April 13th, we will be hosting, along with a certified uh, educator, more information about medical marijuana. And you will also have a chance to get certified and registered, if you like, and this will take place at the world-famous Woodmore Country Club from 9 to 12. But feel free to call 301-497-0401 if needed for more information. So I know, I, know, mm -hmm. I know we got a few more minutes and we're wrapping up, but um, maybe we can just talk about where you might see things in another 50 years or so with all this. Well... 
I tell you what I've seen in the last uh, two years, three years, uh, that uh, patients' uh, medicine uh, cabinet is looking less and less filled. <laughs> it, it's absolutely true. You asked yeah. me about a patient earlier who, uh, uh, or patient that come to mind, and I saw a gentleman a year ago. I'll tell you about two guys very quickly. I saw one guy about a year and a half ago for the first time. He had been taken uh, no less than 12 to 20 200 milligram ibuprofen pills a day. 12 to 20 200 milligram ibuprofen pills a day for his chronic arthritic pain. When I saw him in follow-up, he asked me, how many uh, pills do you think I've taken? And I said, I don't know, three a day, four a day? And he said, if I've taken more than 12 ibuprofen tablets in the last 12 months, that's a lot. Wow. So he went from 12 to 20 a day to over 12 in a year. Wow. That was just with the combination of CBD and THC. The second patient that comes to mind was uh, someone who used to be a bodybuilder. He's seven years old. And he came to me, he had severe neck, arthritis in his neck and his back, but particularly in his shoulders. And at the time, he could only do one push-up, barely one push-up because of the severe pain in both shoulders. When I saw him about three months ago, this is not an exaggeration. 70 push-ups. Wow, that's more than you. It is more than me. <laughs> and he's 70 years old. Uh, and this was simply with uh, the, the wonderful anti-inflammatory effects that the CBD and the THC has um, and uh, him getting off of uh, the other medications. So these aren't extreme, by the way. These aren't extenuating circumstances. Uh, these, this is what we see on a regular basis. I, I tell my friends and colleagues uh, that in the last three to three and a half years, it's been uh, incredible uh, witnessing how patients' lives have turned around. And uh, uh, lastly, I would say that the patients who do the best, they take their plant-based treatment and they also extend it to their diet. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, then you re they really, really begin to see the true benefits uh, of, uh, of, of their entire uh, makeup, that they're off of meats, or they decrease their meats, they decrease their refined uh, starches, that they're decreasing the bread and the white rice and, and the sweets, and they're drinking more water, and they're exercising now because they have less pain, and they're sleeping better because they have less insomnia. These, these patients are really, really getting back into life. Their relationships are coming back. Many of them are wanting to get back into the workforce. I had a patient who was on disability, mm -hmm. and when she came, and after months and months of uh, using uh, uh, medical marijuana, she had gone off of her opioids and her benzos, and she was a new person. Wow. She was ready to get back into the workforce. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing to see, Dr. Hill. So she got her life back. And, um, so I want to thank you, Dr. Wang, for coming in. Pleasure. Good I to see you. I want to thank you for being one of the first to get into medical marijuana like myself. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at our next episode of Doctors in the House. Thank you. Thank you.